Uh, will you guys open up your Bibles to John chapter 14? John chapter 14. We're in the upper room discourse. This is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed uh, by uh, a close friend of his. He's going to be abandoned by his fellow disciples, uh, arrested, put on trial, falsely accused, and eventually uh, delivered up to be crucified. And uh, it's a few chapters here, chapter 13 uh, through 17, where Jesus just has some ministry privately with his disciples. He's told them a few tough truths that uh, one of them was going to betray him, that he was going to leave them, that he was going to comfort them by going and preparing a, a place for them and a way for them. Um, and it was just a, a tough night, uh, but a night of ministry where Jesus comforts the disciples and they don't totally understand it. You remember last week in verse five, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, verse six, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. We studied that last week. Uh, you can watch the video on YouTube uh, if you missed that, but just the exclusivity of Jesus and not exclusive in the sense that, you know, only certain people can come to Jesus. Really anyone who uh, desires forgiveness of sins and wants to know their creator, they can have that forgiveness and they can know their creator and they can have the hope of heaven and eternity in paradise. Uh, so that, that road is open for anybody. That way is open for anybody. But the way, that road is what is narrow. That road is what is exclusive. There are not many ways uh, to God or many ways to heaven. There are not many different paths and they all kind of branch off and go different directions but end in the same place. It's in Acts chapter 4 that we read, nor is there salvation found in any other. So go ahead in your mind, think of any others that you've had in the past where you've thought, oh, this might be a way to heaven. This might be a way to redemption. Uh, and, and if it's not Jesus, you can just go ahead and cancel it out right now. Amen. And then Peter goes on to say, uh, nor is there any other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. So go ahead and start thinking of all those names that are out there. You, you guys know them. You know, it doesn't, you don't even have to have done much schooling to know all the names that are out there that people hope in and trust in. And you know what oftentimes one of those names is that people think is going to save them from their iniquity and their sin and get them to some sort of heaven on that day. Guess what name most people trust in? Me. Not, not Roy. I mean, you're like, I mean, it makes sense, but no, not Roy. Yourself. You ever heard of self-righteousness? Where you think you can make it on your own? Isn't it crazy that we can make ourselves idols? We can make ourselves gods? 
And, and your name would be one of those names that is insufficient. It's the name of Jesus that men must trust in to be saved. The Jesus of the Bible, I might add. The Jesus of John. The Jesus that is God. The Jesus that is creator. The Jesus that is the door. The Jesus that is the bread. The Jesus that is gives the living water. He is the light of the world. And he is the way. And there's not a lot of truths, and truth is relative to your culture and where you're at. And no, there's, there's one truth. And by believing in that way, and by acknowledging that truth, you will have life. And we've probably gone three weeks on that verse. I don't want to spend much, I mean, you could just think on it though, right? I mean, we could spend the whole day on that. But I want to move on. I want to go to verse 7. Where Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And so just like verse 6, verse 7 is a very clear statement. It's a statement of who Jesus is and by implication, who he is not. To the Greek philosopher, God was the great invisible one. To the Jewish mind, no man had ever seen God. In fact, to this day, to many Jews, it's a stumbling block that Jesus said he was God. I have a dear friend, been to Israel uh, four times and have gone through many tours with him. I consider him a friend. He's our tour guide in Israel, Elon. And just love him and we laugh. I sit up in the front seat with him and I steal his microphone and do stand-up comedy on the trip and love him. And he knows more about the New Testament than I do. Being born and raised in, in Israel, as a Jew, he says, my stumbling block is I just can't get to where Jesus is God. And you know, that is the issue. That is when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Oh, he's a great prophet, or he's a good historical figure, or he's a lunatic, or something like that. But Jesus said, well, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers just with a, it deserves a slow clap, you know. He says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. Titus, this morning at breakfast, was really interested in nicknames. And he's like, do I have a nickname? I'm like, well, you know, we call you... Tippy, we call you Tippy Tie Tie. Was it because I walk on my tiptoes sometimes? Yeah. Sometimes we call you Tip, you know, for some reason. You know how nicknames are. Uh, Lindsay, when he was an infant, called him Peanut Burger. We have no idea. I don't, I don't have any idea. <laughs> then that went to Burger, you know. And I always laughed when people called their sons Bubba. I'm like, what is that, redneck? And for some reason with Titus, I used to call him, when he was a baby, I was like, you're my boy boy. Boy boy. And then pretty certain boy boy turns into Bubba. You know, Russell, his nickname's Roro, and it's because uh, we grew up with the Olkers, or he grew up with Eli right there by him, and when Eli was tiny, he couldn't say Russell, and he called him Roro, hey Roro, you know, and now he's Roro, you know, and so Titus goes, and what's Jesus's nickname? I was like, I don't know, like, Jesus or something, you know, and, and I go, well, he's the Christ, you know, he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. We can call him Christ because he's the Savior. That's what he does. And so there's this statement here of who Jesus is. 
And he says, maybe you have the NIV version. I was thinking this morning, maybe you're new to Calvary and you're like, man, when Rory's reading, I just have a hard time. I preach out of the New King James Version, so maybe you want to get one of those. Um, But I also love looking at the different translations, so many of them so wonderfully accurate, but, but translated in a way that would help people in different stages of their understanding. And the NIV says, if you had really known me, If you had really known me, then you would have known my father also. Now, guess ready to geek out? Who isn't all the time, 24-7? Would you believe me if out of the three words for no here, there's two different Greek words for no? And here's what they are. The first one is, if you'd really known me, it's the word gnosko, G-N-O-S-K-O, gnosko. All right. And it speaks of a real perception, like a genuine perception of somebody. If you'd really genuinely perceived who I was, you would have known my father also. Uh, The word known there is oida, O-I-D-A, and it speaks of a deduced knowledge. So if you would have really known me by experience, then you would have deduced who my father is as well. And then he says, but from now on, because you've spent time with me, you do gnosko the father. It is a internalized, personalized faith. From now on, you do know the Father because you've known me. And so Philip says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Give us some kind of vision of the Father. Philip being a pretty ordinary disciple, oftentimes the things that he says are just plain and simple. He'd probably make a good Prineville guy, you know, just like simply just like, hey, show us the Father and we're good. And as highly as the disciples have thought of Jesus, they don't yet grasp that in Jesus, God has made himself known. They don't quite grasp that. So verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you've not yet known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? A Sunday school class was taking some time to draw, like they do. The teacher came over to a little boy and asked what he was drawing. And he said, I'm drawing God. You know, and the Sunday school teacher says, oh dear, we don't know what God looks like. And he says, well, come back in 10 minutes and you'll have an idea. (laughs) Have you known me so long and you don't know the Father? Have you known me so long and yet you've not known me? This is the equivalent of Lindsay coming home and finding a purchased bouquet on the table. She'd walk in and be like, huh. Have you been with me so long and you don't know me? There's bugs in there. You bought them no matter what, bugs. (laughs) What's worse? Clipping flowers, wildflowers, and bringing them in. I mean, it's like, oh gosh, fumigate the whole entire house, right? She's like, what I really want from you, Rory, show me your muscles. No, what I really want from you, Rory, 
Notice she's gone. She's like, I'm out. I don't know where she went. She just wants time with me. She wants time with me. What I really want from you is, and a solid gold tennis bracelet. But other than that, you know, no, I'm just kidding. So here Jesus makes a clear statement of his, are you ready for it? Intra-Trinitarian position with the Father. Jesus is making a statement that he is in the Trinity with the Father. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Blessed Trinity, God in three persons. Jesus has been saying this all over the place. Chapter 1, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 33. Chapter 5, verse 17. Chapter 6, verse 29. Chapter 7, verse 29. Chapter 8, verse 16. Like, this isn't something that, like, somehow I missed it. It's like, Lord, open our eyes as we go through the Bible to know you and who you are. And so Jesus said in that verse, Have I been with you so long and yet you not known me, Philip? How many people call themselves Christians and have been around Jesus, right? But don't know Jesus. Nor after long enough, they don't know the doctrine of the Trinity or how to defend it. They get all caught up on what the book of Hebrews calls elementary principles of the faith. The ABCs. And yet they never get into some of the deep doctrines of the faith. In John chapter 12, verse 45, a couple chapters ago, Jesus said, He who sees me sees him who sent me. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It was Alistair Begg that said, The mystery of the divine and human natures of Christ are not theological accessories, but they are substantial to biblical faith. This isn't just for theologians, but for every believer. And so I want to encourage you today as you come to the park and you join us and we crack open this book This very key verse says, it's all been written that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. And I would just ask, if you're here today, like the Lord has something more for you than just empty external religion where you just like do some outside performance and check it off your list. He wants to do a work in your heart and transform your heart, your mind, your nature. He wants you to be born again. He wants you to be regenerated. And I believe it's Jesus' heart today that you move from oida type of knowledge of him, just some external knowledge that you would gnosko him. And in the Greek, it's that gnosko that is to know by experience. He wants to have experience with you. He wants you to have experience with him. And how do we have that? By believing in him. Look at the next verse. Verse 10. Do you not believe? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does the work. 
Jesus says, I don't just wake up in the morning and say, hey, what can I say today that's just going to totally be far out and just be for shock value? Although everything that Jesus said was totally shock value. (laughs) He said, no, the things that I'm saying, the Father's given me to say, I'm speaking on his authority. And what I'm telling you is no one will ever know the Father without knowing Jesus. And so verse 10 starts out, do you not believe? And then verse 11 says, believe me. In fact, halfway through the verse, he says it again. Believe me. Believe me. Verse 11, that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. I mean, I've sort of proven it. The whole walking on the water thing. You probably don't know too many people that can do that one. The whole raising Lazarus from the dead. You were there. How about multiplying five loaves and two fish, enough to feed about 25,000 people and to have 12 giant baskets of leftovers? Believe my words. I mean, they're valid words and they're backed up with biblical prophecy. And the Old Testament scriptures are all, hey, you can believe me also. I'm validated by the works that I've done. Verse 12 goes on to talk more about works. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Oh my goodness. Did your heart jump when you read that verse? I mean, think about it. Think of all that Jesus did. And now he says, we're going to do greater. Oh my gosh. Just think of the crazy. Just think of the ecstatic and dramatic, crazy signs and wonders that you're going to be able to do today when you leave this place. I mean, just head on up to Prineville Reservoir and try to take a walk. I mean, you're going to be able to do it anyways because it's like two inches deep. But, and head on up to Juniper Haven Cemetery And just, why not just walk over some of those graves and start lifting those people up out of the graves? Do you think at the reading of this that there's probably some interpretive rules that we need to go over as Christians or else many strange doctrines could be formed? Now, I certainly understand it. I mean, Jesus starts out by saying, truly, amen. I am telling you that if you believe in me, and by the way, that's another time where he says, believe me. If you don't believe me, believe me, believe me, believe me. So there's something that he's saying, like I desire something from you, your faith and your trust. But most truly, I tell you, if you're going to trust in me, the works that I do, he'll do also and greater works than these he will do. I can certainly see why much of the faith movement and the signs and wonders movement within Christianity gets to where they are because they kind of hop on key verses without kind of understanding the big picture of the whole of the scripture surrounding verses um, and, uh, and then looking at how the book of Acts was worked out. And there may be times that they go too far. Certainly many times they go too far. And at the same time, I have some compassion and some appreciation that they desire this verse to be true for them. 
They desire this verse to be something that God is accomplishing. And many wise scholars, Jesus proclaimers, Bible valuers, say that Jesus did not mean greater in the sense of more sensational, but rather greater in magnitude. Tasker says, the works of the apostles after the resurrection were not greater in kind than those that Jesus did, but they were greater in the sphere of influence. William Barclay, very respected among uh, Orthodox Christians, said, it certainly could not be said that the early church did greater things than Jesus did. Greater in kind or greater in spectacularity. David Guzik says, we earnestly await proof of those who have repeatedly done greater works than walking on water. Greater works than calming storms with a word. Multiplying food for thousands. Raising people from the dead. More than the three that were recorded in Jesus' work. Even if it were proved that one person after Jesus had done such things, it still does not explain why there not now or have been thousands of people who fulfilled this wrong and sometimes dangerous understanding of what Jesus meant when he said, greater works than these he will do. Now, don't misunderstand me, you guys. I believe that our God is the God of miracles. I believe that our God is a God that heals. I'm a continuist when it comes to the works of the Holy Spirit. I've seen God heal miraculously. Um, you know, there's just radical things. I've, I've personally prayed for people with massive tumors and, and that were scheduled for surgery. And those tumors were gone by the next day when the surgery was scheduled. So I, I've seen God do these things. But we can take a verse like this and misuse it. And misunderstand it as far as the sphere of it. James Montgomery Boyce, just a, a well-respected Bible scholar, tells us that the word works does not actually occur here in the original. There's no word at that point, so our best translation would be, and greater things. And the point is, Boyce says, that Christians will do something greater even than the works of Jesus. Bear with me, Leon Morris. What Jesus means is we may see in the narrative of the Acts, there, there are few miracles of healing, but the emphasis is on the mighty works of conversion of souls. On the day of Pentecost alone, more believers were added to the little band of believers than throughout Christ's entire earthly ministry there we see a literal fulfillment of greater works than these. And so the works the disciples would do, and that the disciples, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple. They're not more spectacular, but they are greater in extent. Think about it. Think about what Jesus did right there on the earth for his three-year ministry. And then think about what God has done through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling Christians for the course of the last 2,000 years. And you will see that the works that Christians have done are greater geographically 
Think about that. Greater geographically, greater ethnically. Think of the tribes and the tongues and the nations that have known Jesus in the last 2,000 years. Greater numerically and greater spiritually. Now, part of a connecting phrase here in this verse that makes there so much power available for Christians and such work available for Christians is this last little phrase. And you might hop over it and you might not think it's important, but it's because I go to my father, because I go to my father. It's not because a disciple is greater than Jesus that he'll do greater works, but it's because Jesus went to the Father and the next stage in the plan of redemption begins to unfold. Look at John 16. You're in your Bible, right? And John. Flip over to John chapter 16. Look at verse 7. How's everybody doing? I know it's hot. Can you give me 15 more minutes today? 15 more minutes? I know it's like, oh gosh, I don't know how long this guy's going to go. 15 minutes is how long I'm going to go. Okay. All right. So start waving those fans like an old Southern bell, you know? Oh, that is so nice. Right? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Why would it be better for Jesus to go away? We were uh, playing a new game that we found. It's called, What Do You Meme? What do you mean? And you basically get pictures that are famous memes. And then you get cards that are uh, funny phrases on memes. And whoever has the best phrase to slap on that picture, it's tons of laughs. Get the family-friendly version. Okay, but uh, there was one little phrase, and it was so hilarious. I just died. And it was... Uh, when you're playing truth or dare with your crush and she dares you to go away. <laughs> Ouch. Been there. Okay. It, it's better, Rory, if you go away. <laughs> Why would it be better if Jesus went away? Why would it be advantageous for Jesus to go? What do you mean, Rory? Well, I mean... Nothing? It's that hot out here. Okay. Jesus says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. Spoiler alert, we won't get there today because I promised you 15 more minutes from this moment on. Spoiler alert, Jesus is about to get into the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. Okay, we're not going to get there today. But he's going to tell us about the helper that he's going to send. And he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, back up to the presence of the Father and the Spirit, then I'm going to send the Spirit. And no longer is it just going to be me hanging out in Galilee or Jerusalem with you guys doing many mighty works. But the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is going to come inside of you and upon you. And he's going to empower every one of you to be a little Jesus running around the world proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so it's important that I go to my father, Jesus says at the end of the verse. 
It's because I go to the Father that you're going to do greater works. Because when I go to the Father, it means that a moment of historical redemption and salvation has happened. And if you know the plan of what's going to happen this Thursday night of Passion Week, Jesus is going to be betrayed by a friend, abandoned by his other friends, put on trial, have three different trials. He's going to walk about three miles after having been beat up. He's going to pack his own execution implement up a hill to be executed in, a, in the most gruesome fashion ever. But then after he's dead, he's not going to stay dead. Three days later, he's going to rise from the dead, just like he said he was. He's going to conquer death, conquer sin. He's going to hang out on the earth for 40 days. Did you know that? That after Jesus rose from the dead, he hung out on the earth for 40 days. And he, does anybody know what the phrase is? Showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. That means for 40 days, he just showed off that he rose from the dead. Okay. And then on the 40th day, he took the disciples up to the Mount of Olives. He gave them the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them to obey all the things that I command, baptizing the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. And he says, and lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And then he began to ascend up into heaven and you know, what is it, 40 days after Easter Sunday, I'd love to celebrate this more. It's just never like in my brain that's the day, but it's called Ascension Sunday. You know, Ascension Sunday is like such, it's just as fantastic as Easter Sunday or Good Friday, because there on Ascension Sunday, Jesus goes up and he goes back into the presence of the Father. Now, this is good news because if Jesus's sacrifice wasn't able to atone for our sins and it wasn't accepted, he wouldn't have been allowed back into the heavens. He would have, thunk, 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 as Deuteronomy says, hit brass heavens. Thunk, 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 thunk. But there's a psalm that's prophetic of Ascension Sunday, and it says, open up you gates. You guys, does that sound familiar to you? Open up you bars. My Britney Spears microphone is betraying me right now. That's a Johnny Olkers saying. Okay. You guys know the song? Open up you bars. And open up you gates. And then Third Day made the song kind of popular in English for us. Who is this king of glory? You guys know that song? Who is this king of glory? And it's a psalm about... The homecoming of the king of glory after his uh, victorious and uh, successful redemption mission. And so he comes in on Ascension Sunday and the bars of the gates open up and the king of glory comes in. And his name is Jesus, as Third Day put it. And because he rose from the dead, he, it shows that our forgiveness has been bought and paid for. And now he can move into the next stage of redemptive history where he now sends the Holy Spirit upon Christians to go out and multiply across the earth and to tell people about Jesus and this plan of salvation for every creature. And Johnny, as you come up with the worship team, 
This is something for us to rejoice in. And this is part of the context of the greater works than these he will do. Part of the greater works and part of the great works is that verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Part of the great works is that we're going to be praying people. And we're going to be praying prayers that are in sync with his heart. And some of the greatest prayers that we pray that are part of the great mission and plan of God are that we pray prayers of mission. We pray prayers of evangelism. We pray prayers that people would get saved. That they would be forgiven of their sins. And that they would be reconciled to their creator. And so greater works than these any prayer that you pray he'll do it check out the next verse verse 14 if you ask anything in my name I will do it has that verse ever been abused misused misinterpreted you don't see my Ferrari out there in the parking lot do you you said anything you know And then James says, well, you have not because you ask not, but I asked for the Ferrari. He's like, you didn't let me finish in James. When you do ask, you ask for things that you could just spend on your own pleasures. What I'm looking for are for people who are praying with hearts that are in sync with mine, that are on mission with mine. That our hearts are beating to the same rhythm together. You guys know the parable that Jesus says. He says it in Matthew and he says it in Luke. And he says, how many of you, your little child asks you for something to eat. So they ask for a fish and you give them a snake. Or go chew on that, you know. Or they ask for an egg and you give them a rock. Oh, this is really good for our dental plan, you know. He goes, of course not. And he says, and if you fathers who are wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the father in heaven know how to give good things to those who ask for them? Now, what I like is that Luke adds one little detail in that story. And he says, if you fathers who are wicked know how to give good gifts, how much more does the father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so there's this work, there's this theme that Jesus is doing in the upper room ministry right here where he's telling the disciples, you guys, I know it's hard right now to hear that I'm going away, but it's all part of redemptive history. And don't worry, you're going to be able to do even greater things than I did. And yeah, you're going to heal people and I, the Holy Spirit's going to heal people. And yeah, there's going to be miracles. Like you're going to be raised up from the dead, probably Paul. And, and you know, there's going to be just really cool stuff that God will still do. But you want to know what the just greatest, most spectacular thing that God does is, is that a bunch of us rebels have been pursued by God and would hear the story of his love for us. And we'd be forgiven of every bad thing we've ever done. 
and then we would want to be with our creator again. And so we'll continue in that thought on the Holy Spirit given to Christians in the weeks to come. But why don't you set your things aside? And we just really want to just focus a moment on in prayer. Moving from a place of knowing about God and knowing about Jesus. And you've been with him so long And yet you just more know about him. But you want to know him by experience today. You need to know him by experience today. He wants you to come to a place where. And you are going to be so in sync with him. That you are going to be doing greater works than even he. You are going to be just living for him in power and in might here in Central Oregon. You are going to be opening up those lips and telling people the bad news that they're sinners destined for hell and the wrath of an angry God is upon them. But then you're going to keep going with those lips and you're going to tell them, but God took that wrath upon himself at the cross when he willingly laid his life down for sinners. And you're going to tell people about the resurrection of Jesus. And you're going to tell people about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to lead people to a Savior. That's what happens when you gnosko Jesus. And so let's just pray for that today. Let's pray that the Lord would take us from a place of just knowing about God and you know more Bible trivia questions than anybody else and and you know like lay all that aside and just say Jesus I want to know you and Lord however you want me to be working greater things out here I am and I want to be a person of prayer filled with the Holy Spirit living for you During this last song, if that's you, and you want to know Jesus, you want to know Jesus more, you want to go beyond external platitudes and external religion and a religious status on your social media account that says Christian, but you want to be a follower of Jesus that we read about here in John 14 following hard after the way, the truth, and the life. Just give a moment during this first song for you to stand where you're at. Just say, Lord, that's me. I want to know you. Help me to love the Bible. Help me to love the church. Help me to love prayer. Help me to love worshiping you. Help me to love talking about you. Help me to love the Lord's day. Help me to love the commands. Help me to know you and to love you, Lord. And then in a little bit, we'll all stand together. But just today, if that's a special word for you today, I want to know you, Jesus. Stand where you're at during this song. Go ahead, John.